0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Just Dow It, the podcast for people starting DAOs. I'm Adam Miller, and I'm your host. I'm the CEO of MyDAO, which provides legal entity solutions for DAOs. And prior to starting MyDAO, I did consulting for people starting and operating DAOs. This is the first of two episodes this week. Uh, We'll cover the news with our guest, and then later in the week, we'll go deeper into an interview with him. So first of all, I'd like to welcome Crypto Bushi. Um, would you please give a brief introduction to yourself and especially tell us without too much humility what makes you an authority on doubts?
1: Uh, hello, thank you for having me. Yes, I'm Crypto Bushi. Um, a, a quick introduction about me. Um, I don't know. I work full time in crypto, which is weird to say. So I guess it makes more sense for people that are probably listening to this rather than like normal people when I try to talk to them about it. So I've worked in crypto now for like almost two years which is weird it's just flown by um and i'm kind of really interested in uh in dows really anything decentralized and uh i really like to make art as well and that was really like where i i started so i guess you could call me an artist or somebody that works full-time uh in in and around DAOs. um but i don't know i'm just like awesome. everyone else i'm just trying to figure out what we're doing here so
0: yeah, and that's the thing with a lot of people in Web3, there is a lot of humility. Um, I think it actually, Web3 is full of amazing people, which is one of the fun things about working full-time in Web3. Um, but uh, Crypto Bushi is is uh, uh, someone that people know because uh, two years actually is a long time to be involved in in DAOs and Web3 um, because the industry is so new. So maybe tell us a little bit about one DAO that you're, you've been involved with.
1: So my first DAO that I was involved with for a a long time, and I I guess I still am in some degree, is Bankless DAO. I mean, Bankless DAO was really, like, my onboarder into the space. Like, before Bankless DAO, I didn't even know what a DAO was. Um, I really was, like, really green to crypto in general. So I really didn't even realize, like, what you could do in crypto other than just, like, buy it and hold it on, like, Coinbase or something like that. And so that was really, like, introductory for me for, like, where I learned, like, okay, this is what you can do in this space. It's really cool. And then really the next step for me after that was... um, was kind of pseudo, I guess, helping form another DAO um, called DAO punks. And uh, I think that just started as an art project. It, it Really, in my mind, it, it didn't start as like, hey, we're starting a DAO. But enough people kept saying, hey, this is a DAO. And so eventually it just became where, yeah, I guess it, it is a DAO.
0: And one piece of art that they made is literally my favorite piece of clothing in the world. I really should have worn it this morning, but it's a sweatshirt that uh, is made by Dao Punks And it says, just Dow it" on the front. It's got a GM uh, on the sleeve. And uh, almost everywhere I go, people ask me, oh, my God, can I get one of those? But one of the interesting things about it is that it was a limited edition. Like, I think a lot of the Punk stuff is like a combined NFT with some kind of real world uh, piece of art. Uh, and so that gives it a scarce scarcity value but now we're trying to figure out how we can make our own t-shirts that are a little bit similar just because there's there's no way to get more um yeah is that is that common yeah. for dao punk stuff
1: yeah no i appreciate that um the the hoodie was awesome i mean we worked with a really really great uh uh printer or producer over in california and they work with some really big clients like really big names that everyone everyone knows and we're like this small little nft project like you know we only have like a thousand um 111 collectors or actual nfts and so it's a very small community very niche and the printer that helped us make that hoodie said that that's their favorite piece that they've ever made and they actually have it like in their conference room like where all these like really big name people come to talk about their merch and their fashion and stuff and so that was really cool. So yeah, I I really like that piece too. And that was all Sinjin, by the way. Sinjin is like the fashion mastermind um, over here. So
0: that's awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for giving a bit of an intro. Uh, we are going to dive into the Just Dow at News Report, where I will read headlines and summarize stories from the past week or so in the world of DAOs. And then I'll provide my take and I'll ask you, Crypto Bushi, to provide your take as well, Do you, especially if you disagree or there's something you want to challenge. Um, but whatever your take is on the story is fine. And, uh, and again, a reminder to everyone to check in later in the week for the full uh, interview with Crypto Bushi. So the first story of the week comes from Cointelegraph, and the headline is, DAOs are in era 3.0 thanks to an infrastructure renaissance. There are over 4,000 active DAOs with treasuries totaling around $20 billion, which has many speculating that DAOs may still be a growing trend. Okay, first of all, DAOs are definitely a growing trend. (laughs) I think it's funny that this article says people are speculating that they may still be a growing trend because Two years ago, there were probably a hundred DAOs total, maybe a couple hundred. And then a year ago, there were a thousand. Now, uh, according to uh, this data that the, the article gets from Snapshot, there are 4,000. But I know there are way more than 4,000 because I've I've done my own research on this. And a few months ago, I looked at uh, the first 200 DAOs that I had spoken with as part of my business at MyDAO, and I looked up each one on... Uh, the website that listed 4,000 or so DAOs at the time called DeepDAO, and only 12% of them were listed there. So for the statisticians in the audience, there's definitely a selection bias in this analysis. But if you flip that around and say, okay, well, then 1 over 12% times the 4,000 that were listed there means that actually there are like 80,000 DAOs. And so maybe there's not really 80,000, but I do think the number is more like 30 or 40,000. And those are all just DAOs that haven't been listed yet. They, they had, maybe don't have a token. They're maybe small. They're private. They're just not DAOs that, that anyone's really aware of in, in, in the public. So um, definitely a lot of a growth happening with DAOs. I'm excited to see some positive press. The story also shows a pie chart of... Um, What some areas of focus are for DAOs right now. And not surprisingly, um, the greatest percentage of DAOs are in DeFi. So these are like Web3 projects that also have a DAO. But what I think is really exciting, and NFTs are big too, but I think what's really exciting is a lot of the newer DAOs, these are not like crypto projects starting DAOs. They're not Web3 native people starting DAOs. They're just people who wanted to do something in the world, like save the Amazons, one of our customers is doing, or um, in another case, uh, just start a retail store. And and they're saying, instead of using a traditional corporate structure, let's use a DAO to do this. And in some ways that can be more effective or at least different. So anyways, fun story. What do you think, Crypto Bushi?
1: Yeah, I... agree. I mean, A, I would say like, I think you said the number like 20 billion. I mean, 20 billion in the grand scheme of of money in the world is like microscopic, right? So it'll it'll probably grow much bigger than that. And then I would say also like, I guess there's a nuance to it as well. Like, you know, we, we call them DAOs, which stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization, right? But like, if you really try to boil that down and say like, how many like actual like DAOs actually conform to like that, that definition, like Arguably like very tiny amount, right? Like like just like very few. And even some of the big DAOs, um, they're kind of close to it, like being decentralized and autonomous, but they're really not, right? Like they're they're still like missing that gap right there. And so I really believe personally that I think the DAOs that are gonna win in the end of the day are gonna be actual DAOs that are decentralized and are autonomous to like it's the furthest degree that they possibly can go. And uh And I put a tweet about this the other day, actually, yesterday. I think that in the the end, we might only see a couple DAOs actually reign supreme in like capturing value. Like there might only be a handful of them, but those DAOs will probably be like just ultra decentralized, ultra autonomous and uh, super centralization resistant. And so that's what I'm most interested in seeing. Like I like the concept that lots of people are like forming groups of people that are like they're using the. The crypto like tech rail to like do something different. But I really think people need to like strive to like, tr- if they really want to be a true DAO, they need to try to strive towards that like decentralized and autonomous route, which is hard. I mean, I heard a talk that you were talking, um I forget, I was listening to it on YouTube, and you were saying, you know, the tech just isn't there. And like, it's like that with DAO punks too. I mean, we'd like to be more decentralized and more autonomous, but you know, without like a full time smart contract developer, like that's really hard. And so, you know, I'm, I'm more interested in, Exploring true DAOs in the future. But that might just be a nuance on my end as well, because I guess it, you could always argue, like, well, what is a true DAO?
0: Yeah. And I love to argue with people about that. <laughs> so maybe we will a little bit. Um, I'm curious, actually. So a, a lot of my guests um, come to the show with a different idea of what a DAO really is. And some people are much more expansive with the definition, others have a more specific idea of what a DAO is. It sounds like, but correct me if I'm wrong, you're saying, that what's important for a DAO is to be uh, truly decentralized and truly censorship resistant, I think was one of the things you said. So so really, I guess really leveraging blockchain technology for the governance and treasury management. I mean, what else would you say ma- in your mind makes something like a real DAO?
1: Yeah, I think the autonomy part too. So like in my mind, the autonomy would be like, okay, you know, the vote is on chain, right? However, however the governance structure is built for that. Um, you know if if the if the dow votes yes for whatever then you know there's certain triggers in place that are like automatically move funds around or do whatever like whatever the DAO is made to do and so for instance like a dow that comes to mind that really does this well is like cult DAO. and i don't know if you ever heard of cult DAO. cult DAO is super interesting i mean basically it's it's such a basic dow like basically they have an on-chain governance system to where if you hold a token you can cast a vote And then all the, all the function of the DAO is, is to decide where to send funds. Like the DAO takes in funds from a tax on the, on the trash, on the, uh, transactions. And then basically people vote to where to send those funds. And it's, it's either a yes or no sort of situation. So like somebody puts a proposal up and says, Hey, okay, send 15 ETH to this address. Everybody goes on and votes yes or no. If it votes no, then obviously it, it doesn't happen. If it votes yes, the ETH automatically gets sent to that wallet. And so, like to me, like it's just so basic and simple, but that's really what the DAO is supposed to do. I mean, that DAO is basically built around sending ETH around to like different projects and investing. You know, I I would like to see stuff go much further than that. Like, I still think we're in such like a antiquated like (laughs) situation right now where like our smart contracts really aren't that smart, you know, there's not that much autonomy. You know, you look at some of the big DAOs like uh like MakerDAO. A lot of people argue that like Maker DAO is one of the most like decentralized DAOs, right? Well, not really. I mean, they 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 hold a ton of their funds in like USDC. And then if you dive into USDC, USDC holds a ton of their their capital inside of like you know bank accounts, which are totally centralized. And so there's like so many failure points that I, to me, I think a true DAO, at least from the word DAO, decentralized autonomous organization, is one that's decentralized and one that's autonomous. Um, And so I'd like to just see more of that. And, and I'm excited that there aren't a lot of those around right now, because I, I think there's going to be great opportunities to where if you can really identify like, hey, oh, my God, like this Dow right here is doing something that like we really haven't seen before. Like, I think there's gonna be a lot of value to capture there.
0: Yeah. All right. So this conversation makes me want to skip ahead to one of the stories I was going to cover later because I I think it's relevant here. So um, this is a tweet from SushiSwap. So Sushi is one of the leading uh, DEX aggregators. So a place that people can go to trade different tokens. And the tweet uh, goes as follows. The first ever community slash DAO driven election of a head chef has been a huge success. We're excited to introduce you to Sushi's head chef, Jared Gray, want to ask a question in person, join the forum. Um, What this article is announcing is the Sushi Dao, Um, has spent months actually uh, looking for what they're calling a head chef, which to me, after reading into a little more detail, basically a CEO. I mean, they said we're hiring an executive team. They want someone who can do things like hire people and spend some money and take some actions without having to go back to the DAO for approval. And uh, and, and Sushi is one of the biggest DEXs, one of the biggest DAOs out there. Uh, So the question I want to pose maybe to you first, Crypto Bushi, and then I'll weigh in, does hiring a CEO mean you're not a DAO or can a DAO have a CEO?
1: Yeah. See, I I would never probably go as far to say like, Oh, that's not a DAO and this is a DAO because like even the DAOs that I'm a part of are not perfect. Like there's no such thing. I mean, anytime there's humans involved, there's always imperfections. Um, And I will say that like, I think there's also a difference between like being a startup DAO and being like a DAO that's meant to last forever. Right. And so I think like, You know, as I've grown in this space and I've I've seen like how coordination failures work and and how hard it is just to coordinate human people, when you start something, you're essentially a startup. You know, if you start a DAO, you're basically a startup, you're a startup business. And in the world of startups, like what one in 10 startups succeed, the rest fail pretty quickly. And so I, I think that rule passes over here too. And And so, I think like in the startup phase of a DAO, like absolutely, you need people to lead the charge. Like, because if you don't, like, everyone's just gonna be sitting around saying, okay, like, you know, who's gonna do this and who's gonna do that? And nobody's gonna wanna do it um, unless there's some sort of incentive structure built. And usually there isn't. And so, there needs to be some people who are like super invested in the project who are gonna push it forward. But I do believe though that like, if you wanna build a DAO for the long haul, you need to have like in your plan like a way that eventually you're going to like decentralize that like you know you're gonna you have a plan like okay once we get to this step we can like back away to where like maybe we don't need like that executive team anymore because the DAO is like kind of self-functioning and, and maybe that maybe that doesn't apply right i mean and and it depends on the business model i guess of the DAO too and then maybe we get into an argument of like, well, maybe we shouldn't be calling certain things DAOs anymore. You know, maybe we should be calling them like dues, all right, Digital organizations <laughs> or yeah. or something else. You know, like I think um, the word DAO is just starting to get slapped on to like everything. Like, hey, you can fit so many tokens in this thing or something. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, maybe a little more terminology would allow us to be a little bit more um, clear about exactly what is what and what is not. Um, You know, personally, the way I define a DAO, um, which I think uh, ends up being very expansive, is any organization that uses the blockchain for governance and membership tracking. And so if you follow that definition, and I would certainly agree, too, that the culture in DAOs is one where everyone is also really usually trying to build organizations that are very flat, no hierarchy, definitely no CEOs in most cases, um, you know, very open communities, that kind of thing. Um, But to me, what Sushi is doing as an example, um, I actually think this might be the future of DAOs. And and I think the reason this is still so special and unique and different from the Web2 world is in Web2, the traditional corporation, even though technically the shareholders get to elect the board and the board gets to elect the CEO, in reality pretty much the CEO is always in control, right? The CEO like chooses the board, the shareholders only get to vote so often and the board is sitting there like counting the votes, right? Like it's very easy for them to push the organization whatever way they want, kick out board members, change the rules for shareholders, all this stuff. So to me, if you have a community like Sushi where the ownership really is very distributed, anyone can buy a token and and have some governance rights and you're electing a CEO, but just as quickly, the community, the community could fire the CEO, or they could change the CEO's budget, or they could introduce a rule that CEO has to follow. So to me, that still is a huge leap forward in terms of decentralizing uh, how organizations work. And um, yeah, to me, I actually think that's the way more DAOs will go, because I think I think having that um, the strong leadership, whether it's centralized or not, but you need strong leadership and the way we've classically done that is through hierarchies in human society. So I actually think more DAOs will go this direction. And to me, it doesn't make them less, any less of DAOs, as long as it's the people who are choosing, but if they're choosing a CEO or choosing to have no hierarchy either way, to me, that's great. And that's a huge leap forward. And I think it's a a good way to run a DAO.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think right now it's like we're in such a, pro- a phase right now where like everyone's just throwing mud at the wall and trying to see what sticks. And um, good, point. you know, I think a good a good thing that people should take away from this is like there is no such thing as like a DAO expert. There is no such thing as like somebody who knows how DAOs are going to be. Like nobody does. And that was one thing that I had to learn. Like when I first got into DAOs, there were people who were in my communities who are like very smart people and, um, you know, very philosophical and and had ideas of like what a doubt was and stuff. And I kind of thought, oh, well, you know, that's probably it. And then I learned quickly, like, well, some of their things didn't really work. <laughs> and, and then I realized, okay, well, actually, they're just guessing, like, just like I can guess. And so, you know, I'd stress to everybody listening, like, if you are like, if you look at some of these structures and and you think like, oh, that doesn't really make sense. Well, just because like some big groups doing it doesn't mean that it's going to make sense. I mean, it might not work. And so like maybe yeah. you have some really cool idea. um And right now is like the best time to try that because it's essentially what everyone's doing. Like no one knows what the hell they're doing. Everyone's just trying new <laughs> stuff and trying to see like, is this going to work? Is it not? Cool. It's pivot if, if not, you know.
0: Totally. And I think that's especially true for any audience member listening who has experience with business, with leadership, with management, with governance. Those are the things we need in the world of DAOs because those are the things we're trying to do just with a new tech stack, basically, and maybe a new culture, a new set of values. But a lot of the people in Web3 have no experience with governance compared to, let's say, someone who sat on like 20 or 30 boards in their life, nonprofits, for-profits, everything in between, that those are the people I think we need coming into the space and joining the conversation and helping us figure out how DAOs should really work. Um, all right. Next article is from Coindesk. And the headline is, Uki DAO case so egregious CFTC had no choice, Chair Benham says. Okay, this article is really cool. So my listeners will remember over the past few weeks, we've been following the BZX and Uki Dow story where the US uh, Commodities and Futures Trading Commission has come down hard, not only on the founders of a DAO, but on all of the people who participated in governance, even going so far as to serve their Uh, serve their uh, lawsuit in their web forum, letting everyone know that they're being sued and they better find a way to uh, protect themselves. So this led at first to a lot of fear, a lot of uh, of tweets that were really extreme. And right away, I started hearing some of the lawyers I talked to saying, you know, people are maybe blowing this a little bit out of proportion. And I think actually this is one really good example of some of the stuff in this article of why most people probably shouldn't be worried. It's important to follow, but you shouldn't be worried. The reason for that is that basically, what the CFTC chair is saying in this article is that the the case against Uki Dao was "quote unquote" so egregious and so obvious. And he's talking about what they did with their their product, right? They're, they had a a, a future, basically a futures commodity like product where they were sell They were lending money. They were selling something that was clearly uh, securities. And he goes on to say, it was hardly decentralized. There were few individuals who were very much at the center. So so the two things the CFTC is saying, which is cool, they're even explaining themselves in the first place, is this DAO was like seriously breaking the law in a big way. And I know that's still an interesting other debate is like, should this stuff be considered securities anyways? But these aren't like DAO governance tokens. These were like products that were built to be like lending products, leverage products, stuff like that, that the DAO was selling through its protocol. Um, And it wasn't very decentralized, right? This was a situation where the CFTC actually looked and said, you know what, this doesn't really look like a DAO. It's mostly these like founders are really leading things. Now, why then they chose to go after all the all the token holders, I guess I don't know. Um, and finally, I'll just say this other quote from the article. The chair added that it was pretty clear that a few individuals were clearly trying to evade our rules. So I just think to all the DAOs out there, the founders, the governance token holders, you know, pay attention to the rules, look at what the CFTC is telling people to do and what not to do. And I guess if you're operating in, in that space of like building securities products, like futures, like you should probably be a lot more worried than uh, and, and paying closer attention and having more lawyers on your team than, you know, a DAO that again, is like trying to save the rainforest and you just have a governance token. You know, right now, that's not something that regulators are going after people for. They're really just focusing on the worst of the worst cases. So um, what do you think, uh, Crypto Bushy?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this space right now is so new and it's so disruptive. And like you have a lot of like, very disruptive people in it. And so I think a lot of people look at our space as like, I think kind of like hostile, especially I would think the powers that be. And and I think that that's warranted. I mean, I think they should be worried because if, if the stuff here succeeds, then it's going to make their job a lot harder. And, you know, I don't think that some of the stuff that they do is always in the best interest of like the people they serve. I think sometimes they do it in the best interest for themselves. And so obviously they're scared because they're like, oh shit. And so I think anytime there's a new industry that's like budding and it's, it's, it's got enough power to like change the whole world. You're going to always have like a fight back from the powers that be. And so I think like in this case, I mean, for instance, I'm wearing like the tornado cash shirt. I mean, I was a user of tornado cash. You know, I wasn't a criminal. I didn't do anything illegal. Like I was moving my own money through tornado cash for legitimate reasons. But then one day, you know, the United States government started, you know, basically say that like, well, you know, the people that were using it were criminals. And so now I'm sure I'm on some like watch list somewhere. Right. But I would stress to people that like, you know, if you're buying into like these DAOs and stuff, and again, I'm not a lawyer, but you have the ability to like be somewhat anonymous (laughs) online. Like, and so I would say like, maybe if you're like trying to speculate into some of these DAOs and you don't know if like, you know, they're going to be come under any sort of scrutiny one day, maybe you should try to like use the veil of (laughs) anonymity on there if you can. I mean, there's ways to do it. Um, and it's not illegal or anything. And so, you know, I've always thought that too. Like I've stayed pretty much, um, anon. on, I mean, I'm like a pseudo anonymous. I mean, some people know my real name, but it's not like it's so super easy to go find. And, uh, so for instance, like if somebody goes on EtherScan and looks at like my wallet or looks at a list of holders of a specific DAO, they're not going to like see my full name on there, which is, you know, there's like a bunch of addresses. And so I would say like, if you're going to, if you're going to be in this industry and you're going to like, you know, you have to be, you have to still protect yourself in some degree. And you know, nothing we're doing is illegal until they say it is. And so why not have an extra like veil of secrecy if you can? I mean, that's what I would do.
0: You know, so to me, there's kind of, one way of looking at it is there are kind of two sets of uh, projects or you could say two sets of types of DAOs uh, in this space. One type is evolutionary and one type is revolutionary. And I think what you're talking about to me is if you're going to be part of revolutionary projects where you know that you might be breaking the rules or you're doing something that you might, let's just say, get piss off the government, right? Even if it's for a bad reason that is like unethical on the government's part, if you might piss off the government. Wherever you live or somewhere in the world, maybe you're a revolutionary and you should be as anonymous as possible. The DAO is probably not going to want to form a legal entity or uh, sign, you know, have people signing contracts with their real names. That's a project where everyone should remain as anonymous as possible. And the software should be built in as um, in, a, in a way as much as possible. that can't be shut down by centralized entities like governments. Um, On the flip side, a lot of projects in the space of DAOs are more, I'd say, evolutionary, where they are trying to follow the rules. They're just saying, look, we're going to do everything we can just not to like run across the SEC or the CFTC. We're not going to do the things that they're really concerned with. Yeah, Again, so most people have governance tokens and we don't know in the long run how those are going to be treated. But when it comes to like the stuff that really concerns regulators today, let's try to stay away from that. And maybe let's form a legal entity. Let's say, you know what, we're going to be a company based in the Marshall Islands is, is what I love, but maybe it's in Delaware, maybe it's in Wyoming, and we're going to try to follow the law as much as we can. And I think Both of those are totally fine. And it's kind of cool that we're all building together, nonetheless, because the technology is is generally open and, you know, the things we learn in the revolutionary track can be used in the evolutionary track and vice versa. We're all seeing each other at conferences anyways, at least for the time being in the free world. Um, So that's one way I like to look at things.
1: I agree with what you're saying, but I would even say the base layer itself is just super revolutionary. I mean, like Ethereum, you know, in itself could come under scrutiny on its own, and even like protocols like Uniswap. I mean, Uniswap is so embedded in the ecosystem that like everybody has touched Uniswap. You know, like if you're in crypto, you've touched Uniswap. And Uniswap in itself, I mean, it's it's a decentralized exchange. I mean, it's it's it could be under scrutiny one day and a lot of projects would feel that pain. And so I just, I can see a world where, you know, it, we, we eventually see the powers that be try to fight back. And I think people should be a little bit more cautious with like, you know how they go about doxing themselves not saying that they're doing anything wrong or that it's shady or anything but it's like again like you're not forced to, to dox yourself so just be i guess a little bit when just think about it kind of sort of situation you know and like you can use alternate wallets and stuff too i mean you can have like one persona over here and then you can have a wallet over here that nobody knows is yours i mean there's ways that you can mm-hmm. you know still play around and figure stuff out yeah
0: Yep. Good and advice. again, I'm not
1: saying this in any nefarious way. I just, I just know. I mean, how fast yeah. it can change. I mean, look at Tornado Cash. I mean, Tornado Cash yeah. was perfectly legal to use, and then next day it's not. And yeah. you know, if you're telling me that there isn't some government database out there with all of the addresses that I've ever touched, it, I mean, 100% exists. Yeah.
0: Like, well, that's even just on the blockchain, anyways, right? The, all exactly. That but I'm, saying is saying even,
1: I'm saying they're yeah, probably like even. I'm saying they're probably even trying to go. As deep as like trying to figure out like yeah like who the walls are tied to I mean I, I guarantee and yeah. and so I think you know that yeah. more of that's gonna happen I'm sure it's gonna happen um, and who knows maybe it'll maybe it won't be as bad as everyone thinks but I mean I kind of think that was just like kind of the start so we'll see no I, I mean look I I have
0: similar feelings you know you look at like the Tornado Cash developer who was arrested in I think the Netherlands um uh, was it Netherlands
1: yeah and he's still uh, in jail.
0: <laughs> Still in jail, hasn't been charged. No no one has told him or anyone what he's being charged with. Um, another example I like to point to is the, tr- the Canadian truckers who were protesting against, uh, I don't even remember anymore what they were protesting against, but the truckers were protesting and uh, the Canadian government took away their bank accounts. So they couldn't buy food or take care of their families. And it was like, wait, can- Netherlands and Canada are basically completely taking away due process and people's rights. I don't think it's that much of a stretch to think that whether you're in the United States or wherever in the world that you know still tends to be very free, um, that things can change very quickly. And so even if you know some of the work that we're doing doesn't feel like it needs to be totally private or censorship resistant. I at least think we need to be building those technologies and learning how to do things in a private and censorship resistant way um so that we have that technology ready when we need it.
1: yeah, well, and I think it's worth going back to like why was this technology created in the first place? I think a lot of people just have totally lost sight of that. I mean, you know Bitcoin was created as like a way to to like transact like censorship resistance like i think even originally it was supposed to be private I, I don't know how it turned into this whole like public ledger and i think that you know there's a big problem there where like you have bitcoin is is so open and transparent and ethereum is as well and i see huge issues with that in the future i mean think about it like and everybody anytime like like when tornado cash was banned you had a lot of people that didn't really understand and they're like oh well why should that be allowed like of course all the transactions should be like allowed to be seen it's like well you know, I can't go and look into your bank account. I don't, I can't go and look into your like Bank of America or whatever. I mean, you know, cash is inherently private from its inception. And so I just don't understand why like people just are losing this concept of like privacy online or just privacy in general. And I think that's a huge problem is that this space is just losing the concept of privacy. And so I think like we have to go back to like our kind of cypherpunk roots and say to ourselves like, you know what? No, privacy is like one of the most important things and that's why this was all started in the first place, and so I think people should just be a little cautious of, like, you know, uh, signing away those rights. A lot
0: of people who built the internet as we know it were building it for those reasons too, right? And uh, I, I think to a lot of them, what's happening with crypto is is finally the internet moving in in the right direction to where it was originally um, hoped for that it would would go, which is a a place that does provide for things like privacy and 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 freedom of action. So, yeah, I like that a lot. Um, do you, I'm curious, do you have a favorite like resource, like a book or a movie or an article that if someone wants to go a little bit deeper on cypherpunk's philosophy and
1: uh, stuff like that? No, not really. Just the browsing around like all the kind of historical figureheads who have like helped shape crypto as we know it. I think that's all like great starting points. I mean, like Zcash with Zuko is wonderful i mean he really talks a lot about privacy and the importance of it um there's one podcast in specific it's uh it's up only with kobe and zuko or zuku i think his name is and he talks about kind of the whole inception of bitcoin like zuku actually talked and worked with um you know satoshi nakamoto early days bitcoin you know he knows just about every cypherpunk that there was who was building these things and You know, he went and built his own blockchain, Zcash, which is completely private, which is really cool. And so, that's really when I started to realize, like, okay, yeah, like I didn't even really understand the history of all this, and I started to really see, like, wow, yeah, we've gotten like away from that. And even if you just go back to the founding fathers of just like the founding fathers of the United States, I mean, privacy was at the core of like a lot of their beliefs, and we've just gone away from that for a long time. And I think, um, I think the founding fathers would probably be turning in their grave. I mean. I mean, again, and look at just the basic concept of cash. I mean, cash is anonymous. Like it was made to be anonymous. Like, and so I just don't understand why everybody has to feel like a criminal nowadays because they want to be, to have privacy. I don't, I think it's just a bad stigma. And I think the crypto industry is losing that. And if we lose it, we're like the last hope. Like who else is next? Yeah. Who's going to, who's going to pick up like the flag after us? if We drop it. Nobody. Yeah, to
0: me, it even connects back. This is getting a bit um, on a definitely on a tangent, but the whole idea of capitalism and free markets. You know, like if you go back to Milton Friedman, who was one of the original advocates for it, um, at least in modern history, talking about how you can't have freedom in general without freedom of how you spend your money and freedom of entering into contracts with people. It's it's just impossible because at some point, if someone can stop you from spending your money they can basically stop you from exercising your freedom. And I think that's another really important thing that we're losing in the world today. We're moving really far towards like socialist slash communist direction. And I see it in little even what feel like maybe little things like recently President Biden (laughs) basically telling the world like, oil companies, gas stations, you better not raise your prices. Like people really need gas right now, so like keep your prices low or like we're coming for you. And it's like that's not how the world works. Like prices are <laughs> yeah, there to, <laughs> to to like communicate information about how much of something is available. And like we spent the last several years listening to the same people say, "Hey, we're using too much gas, we're using too much energy." Well, if you want people to use less, prices need to go up. And if there's less available, prices need to go up or there won't be enough to go around. And then we'll just end yeah. up like, I guess, in the 70s with people waiting in long lines for gas instead of just having to pay a little bit more. Um, yeah. so, and I just I don't hear much. Not a lot of people are like seem to have a problem with that. They're like, OK, well, yeah, I want low gas prices. So sure, the president could go ask for low gas prices. But that those yeah. little things are what, what slowly will chip away at our freedoms.
1: I think, yeah, we did go on a little tangent, but I think it ties back to what we're talking about, Dow's. I mean, the whole concept of like all this stuff was created to fight against stuff like that and so like do i think there's a lot of really cool novel ideas that are coming out that are like really nice and and fun and like am i interested in them too yes but if the base layer of like censorship resistance if that base layer fails then all that that stuff's just going to fail too so it's like we can't get too caught up like chasing the shiny the next shiny object like we still have to focus on like the basic ideals here because like that's not done and um you know if we build this whole like Uh, this whole like digital web three economy on a house of cards. I mean, it's just going to eventually come collapsing down or we're going to look back and be like, Holy shit. We just recreated what we didn't like. So it's like, what's the point?
0: Yeah. And so I actually even want to go a little bit deeper on this concept of what makes DAOs censorship resistant and why that matters. So if we go back to the Canadian trucker situation, um, and the government took away their bank accounts. And so what did some of them do? Well, friends and families started sending them Bitcoin or Ethereum, and they were able to use that Bitcoin or Ethereum to buy supplies. Right. Obviously, not every convenience store takes Bitcoin, but like they're able to find people who would sell them stuff for crypto. And so they could go still buy food and whatever other necessities they needed. Now, where DAOs take crypto to the next level is they say, okay now, let's say those truckers want to get together and organize together towards a common purpose. Without DAOs, they would have had to maybe use like a Facebook group and a bank account, right? If they want to be able to like collect money together and decide what to do with it together. And the government just would have taken away that bank account or they would have contacted Facebook and said, hey, we need you to take down this Facebook page. So that group of people would not be able to organize together. Now with a DAO, they'd be able to spin up wallets, spin up some smart contracts for their DAO, you know, maybe using some DAO platform, whatever, DAO house or whatever. And suddenly people can give donations to all the truckers collectively and the truckers can decide what to do with that money. So it's kind of like DAOs are to organizations what crypto is to money in the sense that DAOs make it so that you can't, if they're really censorship resistant, they make it so that you can't stop people from organizing resources with each other and deciding what to do with those resources together. And that's really powerful.
1: Yeah, it really is. And I think there's so many like great use cases for it and so many cases that we just haven't explored yet. And so that's that's what I'm most excited about. And I'm always on the hunt for like new cool DAO ideas, but actually more, more often than not now I'm finding projects that are like calling themselves decentralized whatever. And you look at their base layer and they're just not, I mean, there's a project that launched today and they calling themselves a decentralized like autonomous group. And at their base layer, they have an escrow lawyer holding their funds. And I'm like, how can you call yourself decentralized? You have a centralized intermediary holding the funds. Like, I don't understand how that's decentralized. That's actually the opposite. Like, and even maybe even worse than a bank account because the lawyer, I mean, it's a, it's an escrow agent. I mean, you know, the escrow agent, if something happens, if there's some d- debate or something, I mean, the escrow agent is just going to throw their hands in the air and say, okay, well, just go to arbitration. Or, <laughs> And so I'm seeing a lot of that now in the space. And I, I really like, I want to try, try to start pushing back against that. So, I mean, like, for instance, I have like an Anon account that's not Crypto Bushi, where I'm like trying to call these projects out. Because it's just like people need to be ed- educated. We're getting a lot of stuff now where people are just slapping on the word DAO and saying, oh, we're decentralized and we're autonomous. And then just at the very base layer, it's just missing everything. And so. Yeah,
0: that's really bad. interesting. And we're at a point where it's not that hard to spin up your smart contracts from the get-go if you're willing to, right? Like again, with DAO House or any number of other platforms, You know, if it's a small group of people, use a multi-sig, right? If it's nine people or 11 people starting the DAO, at least start with a multi-sig. Although, again, then once you get hundreds of people, you can't really use that multi-sig directly. But yeah, it's not that hard to do. But I feel like what I'm hearing most people from DAOs say, even people with a lot of experience with DAOs, is they're saying like don't decentralize too early because you lose the ability to move really quickly and with a lot of agility and in the direction of the original vision, right? I mean, if one person or like three people had the original vision and their goal is to create a DAO that follows that vision, well, if you decentralize on day one, five people might come in and outvote you and just go in a totally different direction. So it does seem like there is some need to decentralize, you know, be on that path to decentralization as opposed to completely decentralizing upfront. I don't know. Would you agree?
1: Yeah. I mean, or maybe even just like 90% of projects just shouldn't be DAOs in general. I mean, you look at kind of like the, you know, I wasn't even around for this, but I've I've done enough research to like feel like I understand what happened. But like the whole ICO mania, right, where everyone's slapping a token on something and saying, yeah, we need a we need blockchain for this and we can track your steps and pay you in coins and all these crazy ideas that just like were just traditional business models that were slapping crypto on top. And so maybe like we're just having that same mania right now with DAOs, like we're having DAO mania where everyone's like, hey, let's we can we can just DAO it, you know, and
0: maybe not, though. (laughs) Yeah, maybe
1: maybe not, though. Right. I mean, I think maybe maybe DAOs will be only as complex as like the smart contracts that we can use to to operate them in the future. You know, maybe DAOs should be just really basic mechanisms like I mean, like Ethereum is arguably a DAO. Cause the way it works, I mean, it works pretty autonomously. I mean, other than obviously you have some outside groups that help push upgrades and stuff, you know, Uniswap, I guess is, they're, they're kind of a DAO. I don't know. That's a whole other argument, I guess, but I don't know. I think maybe, maybe there's a lot of people calling themselves DAOs that they shouldn't be DAOs. But again, maybe we go back to the concept of dues, right? Digital organizations, like, you're, Ooh, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe you're not even decentralized. Maybe you're just a digital group. You're just a like a clan or a guild yeah. or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, Really good point. Yes. Okay. I'm going to move us to the last story that we will cover this week, and then we will turn uh, to the interview, which will come out later in the week, um, so that we can keep going deeper. Um, the last story of the week is from nftgators.com. And the headline is, Former NEA Partner Amit Mukherjee, and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing the name wrong, leaves TradFi for Web3 with the launch of Chain Forest DAO. Chainforest is a first check Web3 VC firm supported by the Chainforest DAO and its community. Chainforest community has more than 400 full time Web3 operators. Anyone may gain admission to the DAO, and the purpose of the DAO is to make investments in early stage Web3 projects. So always exciting to hear about uh, people bringing more capital to the space. Um, NEA, the firm that it uh, comes from, is a new enterprise associates, which is one of the leading VCs, probably top 10 or top 20, Um, and and he was a partner there. So for him to be uh, starting a DAO that's going to make investments is uh, really exciting. Um, I couldn't find any data on how much money they're actually managing or if that's still TBD, but uh, anyone who is starting a DAO or a Web3 project, you may want to, and who needs funding, may want to check it out. Anything to add on that one, Crypto Bushy?
1: No, I guess so. They're just starting, basically, just a VC fund, and they want to invest in DAOs. Is that what they're doing?
0: They're starting a DAO to invest in Web three projects.
1: I don't know. I'm I'm still struggling with some of the governance value to governance tokens models and stuff. So I'm, and especially those types of DAOs, because they're like they're like, oh, the governance token does not does not give you any uh, stake in any of the investments, and you don't own equity because that would be a security. So it's like, well, yeah. what am, what do I own then? Like. Just have like Good this point. this little token where I can say yes or no to something. And they make their own investments.
0: <laughs> you know, and in this in this case, I think people the people who are part of the DAO might be making the investments directly. So maybe it's more like an angel association DAO than an investment DAO per se. And it says they will be giving community members who are they call rainmakers raindrop uh, tokens. Oh, and it does say tokenized care, The tokens represent tokenized carry in the fund which means you would be getting um, part of the return, which sounds like it would definitely make those securities. So maybe they're following all the securities rules. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I mean, something we don't talk about a lot is, that, I mean, if you're like this partner from NEA, you might be willing to just follow all the SEC's rules, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's expensive and challenging to do so. But one option for DAOs, aside from making sure your token is not a security, is just to let it be a security and just know that that means you have to follow a bunch of rules and almost certainly have lawyers helping you. Um, but there's nothing wrong with that path, um, too, if that's the way people want to go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I It's, I guess that my, my argument again, going back to what we said earlier is like, well, if they're going to call themselves a DAO, then show me the decentralized part and then show me the autonomous part. If not, then they're just a yeah. VC fund in the traditional world with
0: a token, maybe <laughs>
1: Yeah, with, with a token that might yeah. be worthless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> okay, cool. Awesome. Well, that was the just It news report. Uh, there are a couple other articles that we might tweet about, uh, from the just Dow It pod account, or uh, you can check them out in the show notes. And uh, thank you, Crypto Bushi, for being a part of the Just Out News Report. Uh, we will have Crypto Bushi back later in the week for a more in-depth interview. So don't forget to uh, join us again for that episode. Um, meanwhile, Crypto Bushi, would you tell us where can we find you and your projects on the web and on social?
1: Yes, thank you. That was a lot of fun. My, uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter, and it is at The CryptoBushi.
0: Awesome. And people can find me at 0xThriller on Twitter. MyDAO is at MyDAODS, M-I-D-A-O-D-S or MyDAO.org. And for the audience, uh, are you thinking about starting a DAO? Just DAO it. Or maybe not, as we discussed in this episode. (laughs) Just DAO It is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Just DAO It does not contain any legal or financial advice. My Dow also does not provide legal or financial advice, and nor does your host, yours truly.